0: Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fast Talk. I'm Chris Case, Managing Editor of Velo News. joined as always by the stalwart, Coach Trevor Connor. Today, we're going to delve into the second part of our series on strategy and training for particular races. This episode is all about hilly road races and winning the GC at a stage race. If you salivate over 12% grades, if your heart beats a little bit faster when you think about suffering in a race against the clock, then this episode is for you. Last time we talked about flat races and crits where the sprinters tend to come out on top. If that's you, don't worry, we'll still talk about what you can do in these types of races. Some of the things we'll touch upon today include 1. Is there ever a race where you truly don't need a sprint? Two the difference between hilly and flat races, including which are usually more dynamic, and how to know if you favor sprint races or the tougher hilly races. Three, how to approach a hilly race, both in terms of strategy and how to train for them. Hint, it's not just about dropping weight. Four, the elements of a stage race, including the crit, time trial, and road race, in which you should potentially be focusing on. And finally, five, the difference between how pros and amateurs race these events, and why trying to imitate What you see at big pro races may not always work. Today we're talking with two members of Rally Pro Cycling. Team manager Pat McCarty has spent much of his life racing. As a junior, U23, on the world tour in Europe, in the US, crits, climbing races, he's done it all on teams big and small. One of team Rally's team leaders, Evan Huffman, is known for his skills as a breakaway rider and time trialist. He's coming off a phenomenal 2017 season. We caught Pat and Evan on the road while racing their spring campaign in Europe, and because of their schedules, we had to talk to them at separate times. Coach Connor said that with his masterful podcast editing skills, you'll never be able to tell we aren't all in the same room. So I apologize ahead of time for a few rough transitions. We also had a chance to catch up with two riders on the Trek-Segafredo World Tour team. Kiel Reinen shares thoughts on how the region you come from helps determine what style of racing you may like. And Tom Skunch discusses how Grand Tour GC riders and Classics riders have to train differently. We should also note that the training piece in the May issue of VeloNews is all about how to approach both flat and hilly races. So, click into your pedals. Put in the big ring. Let's make you fast. Today's episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Envy. With Envy's new G23 rims, The Utah base brand has targeted rim geometries that favor the wider tire treads and volumes that have proven to be the most fun. With an inner rim width of 23mm, the G23 is designed to be paired with gravel treads between 35 and 45mm for all your off-road adventures. Envy also understands that despite any sidewall warnings about minimum PSI, many riders are experimenting with pressures in the 20s. The G23 is designed with a wide hookless bead anti-flat technology, which provides a larger, more forgiving surface during bottom outs, protecting the tire from those dreaded pinch flats. I rode the new G23 wheels at Dirty Kanza in early June. We'll have a special episode of Fast Talk on the physiology and training for Dirty Kanza coming soon, so stay tuned. not every race is created equally. Not every rider is created equally. Let's talk about hilly races and stage races. But first, let's ask the question to Evan. Is there such a thing as a race where a sprint isn't important?
1: I think it's pretty rare in cycling, but maybe a long time trial. You don't need to sprint. Mm -hmm. That'd be one place. (laughs) People uh, generally associate climbing as the opposite of sprinting, but you know, a lot of times it's just a sprint uphill.
0: Right. <laughs> so let's get into uh, hilly races and stage races. Now, this is the type of racing that you like, I assume. It seems like it's the type of race that you're built for in a way. How did you get good at hilly races? What were the, the things that you worked at? What were What are the things that you naturally bring to the table that make you good at hilly races?
1: I don't know. I guess a lot of it is is somewhat natural, just having more endurance and enjoying doing those longer, harder efforts. Sometimes a lot of flat sprint days, you're just kind of cruising around easy all day. And I would prefer enjoy more to ride hard all day. Yeah, when I think about it, it kind of just seems like that's just kind of what I prefer to do. I prefer to ride hard all day.
0: <laughs> it sounds like it's um driven both by your physiology, but also mentally. They're more exciting to you. They're more perhaps mentally engaging, and that's why you like them, but it it just so happens that your body is built for them too. Is that what I'm hearing? I think so.
2: Yeah. So it's interesting that that podcast we we did earlier about the the flat style racing, we talked about different types of riders. And you really touched on something that to me separates two key types, this all-arounder or time trialer versus the the flatlander or sprinter. I can always tell when somebody is kind of naturally the sprinter type, they don't like to go hard all day. They like to (laughs) kind of sit in and go easy and then have that five, 10 minutes where they are absolutely on the rivets, which I actually find Time trialers don't like that that huge five minutes way above threshold intensity at the end of a sprint race, but they kind of like to go hard all race. It certainly sounds like you fit that mold to a degree.
1: Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah.
0: And would yeah. that that would that function of people's physiology and the muscle fiber types that they possess naturally, Trevor?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. That's a chicken or egg thing that I don't have an answer for. Is it? what they like lead them to being that particular type or does being that particular type create the what they like you know i certainly think sprinters have that huge above threshold ability so they enjoy that end of the race that 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 the time trialers don't and because they enjoy it uh they might be really focused on making sure they're they're ready for it and not trying to waste too much energy since I couldn't give you a good answer, let's hear what Kiel Reinen, a veteran rider from the Pacific Northwest who rides for Trek Segafrito, had to say about sprinters versus climbers at pro races. He also had some interesting thoughts on how much the style of racing we're exposed to drives our preferences or vice versa. Okay. Reminds me of uh, a couple years ago, I, I interviewed Carter and he... Uh commented he was shocked how fast the sprinters could climb and his comment was over there everybody is really strong at everything it's just the climbers climb a little bit better the sprinters sprint a little bit better so it sounds like you're saying a similar thing which is you have to have all all assets the whole race is going to hurt it's just w- which assets you have a little bit better
3: yeah yeah i mean certainly the percentages is- the differences between top and bottom there are smaller just because it's a, it's a bigger talent pool. And I think anytime you have a bigger talent pool, you end up with the smaller differences between the, the top and bottom of the, the group. Traditionally, the races in Europe are longer. Um, they definitely seem to be able to hold sort of a higher average wattage leading up to the big moment of the race, whatever that is, you know, some short punchy climbs or a sprint or a whatever the, the sort of average, wattage over there is just higher. But that doesn't mean that it's inherently more difficult. It just changes what you need to train. And if you're good at that, then maybe it's easier for you than in the U.S. where we kind of almost dilly-dally until the, the big moment of the race and then it's this really big power push. I, th- I think that the wattages we do on, on climbs in the U.S. are really similar to the wattages we do in Europe. It's just that in between those climbs you're averaging 300 watts instead of 200 watts and it adds up to more kilojoules but it's like uh, you know for me usually the hardest races are the ones where i'm uh sick or undertrained or you know it's rarely the races where i had my biggest like kilojoule load or my highest average watts you know those are days you feel good the, the hardest days are the ones when you don't and you have to go hard anyway yeah and i you know i, I always remember there's this story of uh the Seiko development team, I think, it, or no, maybe it was the Mapei development team coming over to the U.S. to do the Air Force crit. And all these guys are warming up on rollers and the, the Italians are roaming around just laughing at them, thinking, you know, this is a an hour-long race. You know, what are you warming up for? And uh, they, I think the entire team was out of the race in three laps. Yep. So I, I kind of like that story because – one doesn't equal the other. You can't just say all the races here are harder than all the races there. It's they're different and you can be good at whatever you decide to be good at. For yeah. sure. The, you know, the talent pool is bigger over there, which means the difference between top and bottom is, is smaller, but it's just a different style. And, you know, racing in Asia too, it, it, they have their their own style there. And it was, I remember how baffling that was when I first started racing in Asia. I just, I was spending so many bullets and just going nowhere. And that's why even at 31, you're still a valuable asset to the team because experience counts for a lot in this sport, not just VO2 max.
2: So that, just think it out loud here, that raises an interesting question of does the way they train in these different locations – kind of create the style of racing that they prefer in each location or is it that the style of the racing ha- has dictated how people train or is it something else
3: no i think it's the prior i, I mean i know that i like races with short punchy climb and that's not a coincidence that's what i grew up with and you know you the terrain you train on definitely changes the type of, of rider you are and you know, each each country definitely has its own style. And I think a lot of that has to do with the landscape. Um, and there's so much history in these races, the way they've been raced. You know, like, Skelder Price. That race always is a big sprint. And everybody knows it's a big sprint when they go to it. It doesn't have to be a big sprint. But it was for a lot of years. And everyone got it in their head that it's a big sprint. So guys don't go on the attack. And, you know, there's a lot of underlying what he I'm so jet lagged my vocabulary goes out the window but like you make a lot of presumptions about the race that you're only basing on past experience or, or other guys stories about what traditionally happens and the the truth is you know races are as hard or as easy as we make them if you go up the the Duez twice in one day it doesn't have to be hard you can do it easy it's it just that no one in the field is going to make that agreement <laughs> And, and sometimes you see that too, like sometimes the really, really hard stages on paper get a little bit neutralized because everyone in the field is so afraid of them. They don't want to go on the attack. They don't want to take a risk because they know it could be the death of them.
2: I remember that often the, the bigger the field and the harder, the uh, the harder the profile of the the stage, actually the easier the race would get.
3: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times those super short stages. Are, are the hardest because everyone knows they can go all in and without a lot of consequence.
2: Let's get back to our conversation and hear what Pat McCarty has to say about hilly races. So let's talk about hilly road races, ones where you don't necessarily need as much of a sprint at the end, which is certainly the type of race I like better. And are there different strategies? Or you know, when we talked a month ago about flat road racing, you said really it's the most predictable race out there. Is this different? Is this a far less predictable race and are there different strategies or is it really just, hey, there's a big hill at the end. We're going to go hard there.
4: Well, of course, yeah. Hilly, the uh, hilly race changes the dynamic quite a bit. If if it ends up being a hard race and say things are kind of chaotic from the beginning and you have some of the stronger riders, some of the better climbers, some of the overall stronger, stronger riders playing a role on the race from further out. Then it's going to be a totally different race than if it was uh, things are kind of lazy in the beginning and more controlled you know there's not a big breakaway there's just a couple of a team's riding and it's no big deal then yeah you might see a different type of rider get further and further into the race and, and have a chance to win as opposed to like I just discussed the inverse of that where you know it's just a hard race it's just a full on throwdown from the beginning then then you're going to see different riders feature feature in the end so a hilly race is yeah, much much more dynamic. If there's nothing that's obviously going to nullify the, the the chaos, like like a sprint finish can, and or an uphill mountaintop finish can can just sort of nullify uh, the racing at a certain point where you know everybody knows it's going to be the best climber of the day that's going to win. If it's just a hilly road race, then sometimes those can be some of the most uh, dynamic, exciting races.
2: If you have multiple hills in a race, you want to be really careful on, on the first couple climbs and save it for the last one? Or is it the race is going to play out the way it's going to play out and, and you just have to be ready?
1: I think there's more of an element of the race is going to play out how it plays out. I think yeah, when you're on longer climbs, you can't just let yourself ride your own pace and get dropped because you can't just chase back to the front group on a descent necessarily within reason, if you're 30 seconds off the back of the group, maybe you can. But if, you know, you're two minutes behind, you're out of the race. So if there's guys that are riding harder than you want to, you kind of have to do that too. But you don't have to be the one forcing the pace either. And it depends, I think, on the pilly race, you can kind of dictate the way you want it to play out a little bit more. If you want it to be a hard race, like you individually or your team can just go to the front and ride hard on the first climb and drop a lot of guys or make a lot of guys suffer on the first hill. Or you can just try to take it easier and say, well, I just want to do one really hard effort on the last climb of the day. And you can do that, whereas compared to a flat race, you can, depending on the course, but you can ride flat out on the front all day. But for everyone's just drafting behind you, it's going to be an easy day for them. But on a climb, you can actually you know, make people hurt at the back.
2: So you can use the course a little more to to dictate the race.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: So when you're dealing with just that hilly road race without that one, like that giant HC climb at the end, which, you know, is going to decide it. So here we're just dealing with this is hilly that things could happen anywhere. How do you talk to your team about it? How do you get them ready? What's, What's your thoughts about the race? Is it just be ready for everything or do you try to take control or how do you approach it?
4: Well, it's a little bit more of, uh, of, uh, playing a game. I think in a race where you, where, where it's just, it's just going to be more of a throwdown, like a one day hard race, but it's going to be hilly and it's not necessarily a sprint, not necessarily going to be a breakaway, not necessarily anything. Then you have to cover your bases. I think the worst thing that can happen for a team in a race like that is to not be in the front. Like there's a breakaway and they're not there because then you have to waste energy to get the race back under your control uh in a sense so losing control of the race not being at the front or not being at a position where you're still going to have an opportunity to win later on is is well you've made a mistake and and you you have to either correct it or you're going to lose and the same thing at the amateur level at the professional level so it's just all about instructing your riders to be mindful of certain things certain combinations of of scenarios knowing when and how to respond before it's too late if you remain in control the whole time you have presence you have a rider on the brake you're always near the front of the race then it's also instructing them to know how to to, to not you know be overzealous to, to save energy to to conserve you want to have things in your favor at all at all times and if they're not in your favor you have to correct it immediately or you're just gonna make things harder for yourself
2: now, what happens, let's give you the scenario. You're back in Colorado and you decide you want to hop in one of the local races. And <laughs> that weekend, something like Air Force, which has a lot of climbing in it, is going on. Or uh, you decide to hop in the Superior Margo Road Race, which has a fair number of hills in it. How are you as a solo rider going to approach that? Are you going to go into it with a plan or are you just going to try to read the field, see what's going on and, and then decide real time what you're going to do?
4: If you're just riding solo, it uh, depends on who else is there. You know, racing sometimes is almost instinctual. You got to be able to feel even in crit, like like we're talking about in crits, you got to be able to feel what's going on in the race and the other good riders are going hard, then <laughs> you know, you, you need to follow depending on the scenario. Really, I, I'd say there's no, you know, that that's a difficult question to answer and say that there's one set of specific guidelines you need to follow.
2: So basically, you're saying you're not going to show up to one of these races with with something as simple as at the forty mile mark. I'm going to break away and try to go solo. You, it is much more a got to read the situation, read who's there, and and then just your strategy accordingly.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, it's good for any rider to to inform themselves uh, (laughs) of all the pertinent information that you know that the around a race, the course, the weather. Um, the other teams, the other riders that are there. And if you're riding well, you're strong and you're good at conserving and, and then knowing what moments to, to push and not push, then, then yeah, you're going to give yourself a good shot. Again, you know, it really depends on a totally solo rider. Sometimes I would, I would have some of my best races at nationals when I was not riding with a team because I could just sort of hide back. I was the only rider there and you could just sort of like watch everything happen in front of you and, and pick your moments to, to follow and not follow. And yeah, you're never really, nobody really looked at you until the last few laps or last few kilometers anyways, to, to, to do anything. So some ways it going to be advantageous to, to be solo.
0: There's no obligations necessarily for you to do anything except sit back, watch, and uh, then you can use the element of surprise. Evan, let's switch briefly to climbing in a stage race and how it may be different from a hilly one-day race. If you're in a hilly stage race where your focus is GC, since you have such a strong time trial, do you conscientiously try to climb at a steady pace like a time trial, or do you go with the attacks and try to hold the wheel of those punchier climbers?
1: It depends on what the goal for the day is. If you're trying to lose as little time as possible, to those guys for like the GC, then maybe it's better to ride your own pace and kind of let them, let them get away. And then don't let them let yourself lose too much time. I said, you can kind of only do that on the last climb. You know, if, if you're doing a stage that has four big hills on it, you need to stay with them <laughs> on the previous climbs. And it also depends on the length of the hill and I guess, yeah, there's just so many factors, uh, so many factors. <laughs> a lot of times I think something that I have a hard time with, especially as like a junior you're 23 is when you do a climb training, you just ride steady the whole time or as you do a climb a race, a lot of times the hardest part is the bottom because mm. you have guys that are, you know, sprinters that are leading out their climbers into the bottom and then they're going as hard as they can the first Two, three minutes at the bottom of the climb and then blowing up and getting dropped. And so, you, a lot of that is mental just feeling like this is going to be really hard for a couple minutes, but eventually it's going to settle down. And so, sometimes you, you just have to do that big effort at the beginning, especially if it's a flatter climb where you can draft. Mm-hmm. Because then you can kind of, once it settles down a little bit, then you can try to recover. I
2: have to, I have to imagine there's a, a difference between you're on a climb in the middle of a stage race, you're you're the GC guy, and 20 riders are going up the road. At that point, you know, you have to respond to that. You have to go with that or you'll never see them again. Versus you're on a climb, a, a little climber guy goes up the road but goes up the road solo. I imagine you, you're a little more willing to say, we'll probably see him again later in the race, let him do his thing. Is that accurate assessment or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, if it's 20 guys, it's maybe time to panic a little bit and you just have to try to stay with them. Maybe if, if it's not the last time of the race, if you have a lot of teammates with you and you say, Oh, we can, we can just ride steady and we'll be okay. Those guys are, are going to come back, but it's kind of risky. I think, the size of the group matters a lot. If it's one or two guys that you know are more punchy, pure climber type guys, then you can let them go. But if it's a big group or if it's guys that you know that are as, as good or close to you at time trialing that are dropping you on the climb, you've got to try to stay with those guys.
0: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about preparation. If your director came to you and said you would race all hilly races this year. How would you prepare? And I assume since you like these races and do a lot of these races, it's what you're doing right now where you're going hard
2: a lot. And what type of assets do you need? With the hilly
1: stuff, it's more about the threshold power than just overall endurance. You have to ride harder on the climbs than on the flats and downhills. And so you need to be able to and do it repeatedly if there's multiple hills on the course, as there often are. So just having that really high capacity to ride a little bit harder than what's comfortable and then do it kind of over and over all day.
0: And how do you specifically train that ability?
1: For me, I do, I guess a lot of my training is really structured. I do I do very few just like quote endurance rides where you just go ride four hours. It's a lot of, efforts going just above and just below threshold to try to get more comfortable doing the big efforts when you need to ride hard
2: so what sort of over-unders would you do Can you give a couple examples
1: yeah so like typical kind of big climbing workout i would do four 15 minute climbs you do one tempo which for me is like around 350 watts. And then you do two of the climbs, the next two alternating two minutes tempo, uh, three minutes tempo and two minutes like threshold, which is like around three, uh, 80 to 400 for me. And then you do the last one, uh, basically at threshold and every 30 seconds attacking or much above threshold. And so that's kind of a, a workout that I think is really good to train for the breakaways. Cause you're doing a lot of like when you add it up, it's like an hour of really hard riding, but it's getting progressively harder. And so a lot of times you see guys in races, you get more and more tired and you tend to kind of do the same effort, but you go slower. And so it kind of trains you that it's getting harder, but you need to pick it up still.
0: Hmm you're basically just trying to recreate these race scenes out in your training to and that will help you physically as well as mentally.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of workouts are not not exactly race simulation, but I guess trying to train those physiological systems in a way of when you get tired, you need to be ready to go hard still.
2: Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of that type of work where you go essentially counter what, to what your body wants to do. Our natural tendency is to initially rely on those that, that big anaerobic energy store, which doesn't last very long. So a lot of people, when they go out and do interval work, they're going to hit it really hard at the beginning. And then as they, they deplete their anaerobic stores, they become more and more aerobic. So they basically just slow down. What you're doing is starting with efforts that are much more purely aerobic, but hard and they're going to fatigue you a bit. And then as you get further and further into the the interval work, you're actually bringing in more and more anaerobic type efforts. You're bringing in those 10 second jumps at the end when your body's fatigued and doesn't necessarily want to do that type of effort. And that's really the way racing is. So that's a great thing to train.
1: Yeah. And a big part of it is, is mental too. Just learning how to suffer or Being prepared for how that's going to feel when you're at the end of a long ride and
0: you're tired, but you have to go hard.
2: It's the good old, you don't win on the first climb, you win on the last climb.
0: And I I would throw out a word of caution to listeners to not do the workout that Evan just described trying to hit his power numbers, because you probably wouldn't be able to do that.
2: (laughs) I also wouldn't do quite Uh, the volume. (laughs) That that was a pro workout that was just described.
1: Yeah, I wasn't doing that workout when I was, was 19 or 20 either. It's definitely, uh, it's all relative.
2: I was actually going to ask you what horrible, mean person gave you that workout <laughs> and what was it they didn't like about you?
1: Uh, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it can be a love hate relationship with, with the coach, but I think that's probably a good thing. I get coached by, uh, Jesse Moore. He lives in Sacramento as well. He used to race for Cal Giant when I did in 2011 and 12. But he does a triathlon
0: now. Today's episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Envy. Envy's new G23 gravel-specific wheel is incredibly light. It's also very wide at 23 millimeters for its internal width, and that helps with the modern gravel tire, which is up to 45 millimeters in width. These wheels work really well with those tires to give you the increased volume, but also because they're designed, the rim that is, is designed with a a blunter leading edge. It helps prevent those nasty pinch flats. I rode these wheels out at Dirty Kanza last month, and you'll get to hear all about my training, the experience of Dirty Kanza in a special episode of Fast Talk next week on the physiology, the science, the training, and the gear of Dirty Kanza. Today's episode, again, sponsored by Envy. All right, let's get back to the show. So let's uh, let's have you flash back to your amateur days and pretend you're at a weekend stage race. Maybe it's a three three stage, two day type of scenario, or crit in a road race and a time trial. Is it as simple as saving yourself in the two events that maybe aren't as decisive or that your strengths don't play to as well and and saving it all for the the discipline you're best at? Or is there some more sophisticated strategy you you would employ?
2: And also bearing in mind that your your typical North American stage race is going to be a time trial, a crit and a road race.
4: Well, it, yeah, it really depends on what you're good at and where you think you can make the most impact in the race. I mean, if you're a specialist at something, then obviously you're going to try to excel there and make the most of it as, as you can. The trickiest thing is for a pure crit rider to go out and win the three-day local stage race. But if you get a good time trialist or a guy that's really strong at road races, then maybe you have something. You know, you can you can focus on your one event. And then try to do your best to, to mitigate losses everywhere else or, or stay at the front of the race.
2: Evan, your thoughts?
4: Yeah,
1: yeah. So talking about a kind of a shorter, you know, maybe two- or three-day stage race, you need to be pretty well-rounded and competitive at, you know, all three or four stages. Depends on the route still. As always, if it's a crit and a flat road race and a time trial, the race is probably going to be decided in the time trial. If there's a really hilly road race or circuit race, then maybe you need to be more focused on the the climbing than the time trial. It also depends on the length of the time trial and things like that. But in general, you need to be pretty competitive at every event, I would say. And then compared to a one-day race, the biggest thing is the recovery if, you know, you win the first stage or you do really well in the first stage, but then, you know, you lose a bunch of time on the next day, it kind of doesn't matter for the overall. So you got to be ready to compete every day, every stage.
2: Now, I noticed when you said uh, which race it's going to come down to, you, you never brought up the crit. It doesn't sound like if you're the GC guy, you're, you're going to be trying to win the race on the crit.
1: I think, in yeah, in general, not If it's going to be a really tight race that doesn't have a time trial or a really short time trial, then maybe you can see the race come down to time bonuses in the crit or a small breakaway in the crit. I would say most stage races, it doesn't come down to the crit. That said, the crit is still a race you have to do and you have to get through. And you can waste or save a lot of energy in the crit. You can still lose time in the crit, you can crash in the crit. So you gotta be a good crit racer for sure, or good enough. But I would say it's usually more of a situation where you can lose the race in the crit, but much harder to win it in the crit.
2: But you make a good point that you might be at a stage race, you're gonna have some guys who are just gonna show up and say, I'm I'm here for the crit. I'm not necessarily here to try to win the stage race. And if you're there to win the stage race, i imagine that could be an advantage you almost want to let those guys win the crit because they're not a threat to you is that the case sure
4: yeah absolutely i think um i mean if you're leading the race at that point you know you still have to be still have to be careful you have to know know the other riders know the field know what's happening in the overall you know get out and write write all the numbers down on on a piece of tape and put on your stem and make sure you're you're informed during the race that's You could miss out on something just by making a mistake or not paying attention for sure. Yeah. Or, or you could, or you could be on the other end of that and you could try to create some chaos and get lucky. And maybe, you know, the guy that's leading the race fall, is falling asleep and something like a crit is actually to your advantage because there's, there's some chaos there that can ensue even more so than in a road race and definitely. free of the control of a time trial where you're just pedaling by yourself, you know, crit, you could, you could actually take advantage of the the chaos and maybe try to distance yourself.
0: What if you had a stage race where the first day was the road race, second day was the crit and the third day was the, the time trial. And you thought, man, that time trial is going to make the difference. How do you race the first two stages?
1: I think you just need to try to keep, use as little energy as possible and, keep the field together for for a field sprint if you have a strong team it's a little easier and then you also need to consider sometimes you have a rider who's a really strong time trialist but can also sprint and you need to look oh if this guy wins the first two stages and gets you know 20 plus seconds of time bonuses maybe i can't make that up in the time trial so maybe you do need to try to find some way to sneak some time. Should you just be
2: racing every event as well as you can? Or is there any benefit to sandbagging? Meaning, let's say you have a scenario where it's a time trial, then a crit, then a road race. You might be strong enough to win the time trial. Would it be an advantage to hold back just a little bit, try to get like third or fourth in the time trial so you're not in the jersey and then catch guys off guard in the road race? Or is that just too dangerous an, an approach?
4: I think you're starting to stage race off with a time trial. You have to put a hundred percent effort into it. You're just hedging your bats. There's no reason not to, uh, the road race. Yeah. You, you know, you gotta be a little bit more, more careful, more guarded with your, your efforts and your energy. I think, you know, if you see an opportunity sometimes, yeah, there's some place that takes some risks and then, you know, you get to the criterium, And I think, I think that's depending on what kind of rider you are. I think that's, from my experience on the local scene and crits, I, I've definitely seen more chaos ensue in both the road race and the crit than, than anywhere else. Probably the road race is potentially the biggest, the biggest deciding factor of the, the, the local stage race.
2: So typically in a North American race, you're going to see uh, on one of the days, time trial in the morning, crit in the afternoon. So if you're trying to win the GC, you're obviously going to have to, to kill yourself in the time trial and, and try to do very well. How do you turn around and get ready for the crit?
1: Yeah, I think just the normal stuff. You know, you got to get your, your recovery in, make sure you're staying hydrated and fueled properly, and just know that you are going to be tired, but so is everybody else because they all did the same time trial. Yeah, Even if guys maybe didn't quite push it 100% like you did, you know they're not going to just ride away from you and the the crit necessarily. Yeah, the double days are definitely tough because it, it's a much tighter turnaround. You don't have the full night of sleep. But, yeah, just focus on the basics, I would say. Eat, hydrate.
2: Should you um, do I, a, a longer warm-up for the crit or a shorter warm-up? Or just your typical warm-up?
1: I think shorter. I think if, at least for me... I think a lot you see a lot of times in the stage races that have just a single day crit in the afternoon guys will do an easy ride in the morning. And then oftentimes you'll feel a little better in the crit and not have to warm up as much for the crit. So I think if you are doing a double day stage race with a time trial in the morning crit in the afternoon, you probably don't need to warm up a whole lot. I think it's almost more important to do a good cool down after the time trial. And then you can do a little bit shorter, Lighter warm up and not feel as tight. Now, for the as crit someone who
0: likes breakaways and likes getting into them yeah. and, win, and wins from them, are you making the choice out on the road, or is the director? Is it a conversation that takes place before the stage or during the stage, or or is it all of those things depending on the day? How do you How do you decide when to go and where to go?
1: I guess it's kind of all of the above. Usually, at least on if you're on a professional team. Or, you know, in the, maybe an elite amateur team where you have a director, you have a plan going in and you need to stick to the plan. And, you know, otherwise your teammates don't know what's happening and you can't really help each other out if everyone's just out there going rogue. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it is more more open-ended depending on the, the field and the route. They might say, get in the break if you can, but it's not do or die. If we don't get in the break, it's okay. Or we'll see how the race situation is unfolding especially if you're in a race where you're not one of the stronger teams that people are looking at to control. You can wait and see a little bit more. But I guess, yeah, for me, especially last year, oftentimes it's director's orders to be in the breakaway on a specific stage.
2: So, Pat, now what would you say is the, the biggest differences between professional stage racing and, and the more local amateur stage racing?
4: The depth of the field and the depth and direction behind uh the teams and and even the individuals there's an expectation in professional racing for each of the teams and the riders because they're paid They're paper professionals if something needs to get done it's going to get done right uh, if a team has to ride on the front they're going to ride on the front and you and you can expect that they're going to do it a, at, at a certain level every time whereas amateur racing maybe <laughs> you know they a guy shows up and and half of his team are, are firemen or something like that or, or they have other jobs or it's their accountants and it's tax season and they're all tired because they've been working their asses off all week and and they won't be able to ride on the front or do any work because it's amateur cycling and you know maybe they'll get twenty bucks at, at the end of the day and share a beer with their buddies and that's great and that's fun but how hard are they actually going to work you know so I, I would say that's that's the biggest difference is uh the team component of professional cycling it's you just you just don't see that at the amateur level even if you get pretty talented riders that are very capable and strong you just don't see lead outs you don't see people riding on the front you don't see the cohesion you don't see the team dynamics in amateur cycling at anywhere close to the level that you do a professional cycling
2: so it's just a little more chaotic it sounds like there there's a little more luck involved One of the
0: biggest races out there for amateurs is the Tour of the Gila. I know last year you won it. I'm curious if you could sort of walk us through how that race went for you. And because I honestly, no offense, I I don't think of you as the type of guy that maybe wins Tour of the Gila. It's usually devoted to a pure climber, but there's a really difficult time trial as well. How did that race play out for you, and how did you capitalize on your strengths to win that race?
1: Yeah, no offense taken to the question at all. I definitely was. uh, Yeah, normally wouldn't expect to win that race because it is more of a pure climbers race. I got a little lucky. They shortened the first stage and didn't do the full kilo monster climb at the end last year. That played into my favor. Another really big factor was just the strength and depth of my team. I did, you know, more or less win the race in the time trial. Pretty decisive win there. But then the last day, the final stage was, um, easier for me that everybody was a hundred percent behind me to defend the lead. And we kind of just rode the front all day steady and on the climbs the same. And I never had to respond to big accelerations or attacks too much from other guys. It was just a very steady, controlled race,
0: and that played into my favor a lot. does help to have a team sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> As the consummate domestique, since I have no sprint, that that is one thing I have learned over the years, is there's this particular sweet spot pace you can drive on the front that's not so hard that you're going to destroy the field and destroy yourself, but hard enough that it really just encourages everybody to sit on your wheels and not attack. And a really good squad can, can find that pace and it just allows you to control the control the field for your GC guy and and not have to worry too much about too many attacks. It sounds like they did that perfectly for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. People attacked for sure. And it was hard and we had to, we had to chase a little bit, but, uh, we had the the guys to do it where that when that did happen, I, you know, was suffering quite a bit for sure. But I always had teammates with me and I was getting, you know, whatever draft I could on going uphill. So that was a big advantage.
2: Okay. So I got to ask, how come they took out the Gila monster? Oh, sorry. I think, I, I think M- it's M- it not the, M- I guess M- the Gila M-
1: monster is the last day. Yeah. yeah the Mogulon Mugiano, um, okay. Yeah, that was my bad. I guess there's some kind of landslide or road construction. The the road was unusable apparently. So, if we did there's kind of a short climb before and then a plateau for a little bit before the right. kind of real proper climb. And yeah. so we finished at the end of that, so it was it's was kind of a reduced. Well, I guess my teammate Mateo went solo, but behind him it was a reduced sprint so yeah I guess we'll never know how the race would have been different if we had done the full climb but theoretically I would have lost some time to the better climbers like T.J. Eisenhardt or Gavin Mannion that were in the race but that's bike racing I that's guess sometimes racing. the route yep. changes.
2: <laughs> so going back to the question we've been asking the whole way along team managers came to you your season is all stage races you're the GC guy what are you going to change about your training, if, or, or what are you going to focus on in your training? What assets do you need?
1: I think being well-rounded and being good at everything, but also even more so the day-to-day recovery and endurance. So doing, you know, three, four, five hard training days in a row to build that up and when you get to the, the last day tour, the heel is a good example. The, the last day is probably the hardest and you know, you see the GC changes hands quite often the last day at that race. So you have to be physically and mentally prepared to race hard for five days. And I think just kind of trying to simulate that in training is the biggest thing besides working on the time trialing, working on the climbing, working on the sprinting.
2: So it's kind of a a jack of all trades. Is it good to have one that's a a real strong asset or is it really almost kind of like this is the triathlete of cycling, you just need to be pretty good at everything?
1: Uh, I guess, uh, I don't know. For the most part, time trialing, I guess, is the most obvious, I don't want to say easiest, but (laughs) the time trial is maybe the most obvious way to gain and lose time in a stage race. Cause you're by yourself. It's kind of conducive to time gaps. <laughs> Whereas if you're a really good sprinter, you can't really make up time in the sprint, you know, unless except for time bonuses, obviously and climbing, you can make some big gaps, but you're kind of limited to if guys can climb with you, then if you can't drop them, you can't drop them. But if you're a time trial, you're already by yourself. So you just have to go a little bit faster than they do. But like everything, it depends a lot on the course. If you're doing a race where it's a flat crit, a flat road race and a long time trial, you need to be really good in the time trial. But if it's maybe a shorter time trial and it finishes on a huge mountain, then you need to be better at the climbing to win the GC there probably. I don't know. I would lean towards time trialing, but I think it depends a little bit on kind of the arena you're at. I guess with the U.S. stage racing, the time trial probably weighs a little more heavily with the the bigger European stuff. Probably the climbing is more important.
2: Tom Skynch, a world tour rider with trek segafredo is known for his classics ability. We caught up with him while he was preparing to race the Giro in 2017, which unfortunately he couldn't race due to a bad concussion at the Tour of California. He talked with us about preparing for the Tour and the difference between Tour and Classic riders.
5: For sure, I'll try and do more stage races beforehand, and that's that's how you build the base as well, and that's how you get that long, sustained effort. But at the same time, I'm not going to go for the GC, so no. But... One of the key differences between, especially GC riders and Grand Tours, is that the training, the focus on, in training is different because for them, the actual way to win a race is just drop everyone on a climb or win the time trials. And that is sustained, controlled effort. We've seen how Foom does it, just dangles off the back and then comes, comes from the back and smashes everyone. So he just has that one constant number he can keep on. Well, not him necessarily, just those riders focus on that one number. They can keep on going forever and ever. Whereas me and classic type of riders, we have to focus a lot also on the ability to just go hard as you can, five minutes at a time, 10 times per ride, just because every little punchy hill, every little acceleration, that's what it is. So the training's different. Like for sure on sky there's a lot of riders that focus a lot on that riding just because not only their grand tour riders have to be able to put that sustained power for a long time but also the riders that ride the flats all the time they have to be able to they're they have to be more able to keep that sustained number for a longer time than to be able to go 5 minutes flat out recover in 2 minutes and 5 minutes flat out again
0: So, Evan, if you're a sprinter, if you love those flat races and the next thing you know, you're thrown into a hilly race or a stage race, how do you cope? What do you do? What can you do to survive those races or maybe surprise people and, and excel?
2: And same thing. Is there anything you can do to prepare to be able to handle those races a little better?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people will say that jokingly. That I need to get in the breakaway to get a big head start for the climb. <laughs> but yeah, there's some truth to that. I, you see a lot of guys do that when you have a long stretch of flat before the climbing starts or before the climb, then you can get on the breakaway and get a head start. And then you can ride the climb that much slower or get caught that much later or get dropped that much later. Mm-hmm. But in general, I th- if you're a flatlander guy, definitely stick to riding your own pace find the other guys that are trying to do the same thing and then chase back with those guys on the descents and flats when you can. Yeah. A lot of times you're going to be better off getting dropped by a little more and not completely blowing up as opposed to being really close to making it over with the climbers and then just having nothing left. So I would say definitely try to ride steady and find a good group Of guys that are doing the same thing
2: so the only thing i will add is uh if you took mark cavendish and and put him up against a a pure track sprinter he'd get killed i i see in a lot of new riders who feel they're the sprinter type that all they should really be doing is working on their sprint and working on their big one minute power and, and why would they ever work on their their threshold and endurance and i think that's A mistake that's specializing too much most of your road racers who are considered sprint specialists are still doing a lot of threshold work they're still doing climbing work uh and they're still doing endurance work and if you lose a little bit of your sprint that's fine because you do need to get to the end of the race
0: i want to back up for a second you said if mark cavendish went up against a
2: pure track sprinter
0: pure track sprinter he'd get his ass kicked oh yeah he's world champion on the track many times over and a silver in many many olympic medals on but the track he
2: endurance track
0: uh well it's, okay i don't know i don't have his stats in front of me but
2: you're, you're pure track well maybe something. there's, hey,
0: there's an maybe there's an exception
2: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> But still I mean the Cavendish peaks out at about 1600 watts your pure track sprinters peak out around 27 2800 watts I have a hard time believing that in a, a straight up pure sprint he's going to be able to beat one of them but maybe I'm wrong Yeah I don't
0: know if he's the best example cuz he does have a lot of track experience but yeah I
2: Yes so in the in the track world it's kind of divided into endurance track and, and sprint track Mhm and, and they're a very different piece. Yeah. You know, good road racers can be good endurance track riders. The the pure sprint track riders spend more time in the weight room than they do on the bike.
0: Yeah. I don't know what – I, I agree. There There is a difference. Um, there's a massive difference between him and Cavendish and somebody like uh, Gregory Beauget or whatever forceman whose legs are probably as large as, Cavendish. as Cavendish's body. But um, yeah, moving on, <laughs> moving on. There are there any take-homes, Evan, that uh, really apply to this type of racing that maybe we haven't talked about yet? How do you excel at hilly races or stage races that, um, without revealing your secrets, something that will benefit all of our listeners?
1: Maybe it needs to be said, like, being skinny and being light is obviously a pretty huge part of the equation with climbing, but I see a lot of guys take it too far and you get to a point where you're too skinny or you're trying to lose too much weight too fast and it kind of doesn't matter how little you are. If you can't pedal hard, you're not going to get up the climb. So especially for younger guys, I'd say don't stress out too much about being skinny, work on the, the power and the endurance first, and then kind of let the weight work on it in baby steps maybe, or over, over a long period of time, years even.
0: Yeah. It sounds like, uh, uh, how old are you now? I'm 28, 28. And you have seen your body changing physically over the last few years and you haven't even done too much weight work. You've just been gaining weight from the, the type of work that you've been doing, the type of racing you've been doing. So, uh, even you, someone at 28 is, is still seeing changes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think don't try to force your body into a certain stereotype of what kind of rider you want to be uh sometimes you're better off being a little bigger and more powerful sometimes you'll yeah climb better than you would if you were a few pounds lighter if you have the extra power
2: so that was something that chris and i touched on in that uh, climbing piece Uh, you you look at the research and they've actually said on your flatter steadier climbs your your 155 pound time trialer uh, can often beat the pure climber
1: yeah for sure uh yeah experience that I've been a kind of I guess on both sides of it where you see guys that are even even bigger than me that on short shallow climbs you can't really drop them and then vice versa guys that are little pure climbers that can't get rid of me so yeah I think you know pure climbers you kind of put yourself in a really specific niche
0: all right pat you're on the clock You've got one minute. What'll make you fast in stage races and hilly road races?
4: What'll make you fast is uh, getting good at, at picking the right moment to follow the right people. I think learning patience, sitting at the back, not doing anything before you need to, but not missing not missing the train when it goes. I think uh, if there's one thing you can focus on doing is understanding how to be patient.
0: That'll help you be fast in a race. That was another episode of Fast Talk. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at fasttalk at Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. While you're there, check out our sister podcast, the VeloNews Podcast, which covers news about the week in cycling. Become a fan of Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash and on Twitter at twitter.com slash Fast Talk is a joint production between VeloNews and Connor Coaching. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. For Pat McCarty, Evan Huffman, Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.